Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi there, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am the tech editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as he always does, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there, guys. We're having a bit of an identity crisis today. Who is? Yeah. So um, we are going to talk about some uh, some very strange combinations of things. Actually, uh, you yeah, know, one that you might not expect. Gaming and supercomputing. Super supercomputing. Yeah, yes. this actually comes uh, courtesy uh, of a little listener text message. Liz, cue something up, will ya? This text message comes from Tim, who says. What's up with the U.S. Army buying 2200 PS3s for a parallel supercomputer cloud system? Question mark. Well, Tim, first of all, it's not the U.S. Army. It's the U.S. Air Force. And it wasn't 2200 PS3s. It was actually 2500. But, uh, yeah, we, we get the, the point of the question here, which is, hey, what is up with buying 2500 PS3s and how does that make a supercomputer? It all boils down to the PlayStation 3's processor, which is a cell processor. Yes, this is a custom chip. Um, actually spent uh, quite a lot of money in, in development, and it was under development by uh, a joint venture of three companies. Yes. Uh, in addition to Sony, IBM and Toshiba were both involved with this with this uh, chip's manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a pretty interesting device. It's what gives the PS3 its oomph and, uh, you know, allows it to uh, to do what it can do. It can crunch lots and lots of numbers. Right. And so let's, uh, let's just do a, a quick overview of what a processor does and okay. then talk about why the, the cell processor is slightly different. So in general, a processor's job is to take, uh, uh information. So it's mm-hmm. taking data and executing co- any sort of function upon that data to get a result. Right. So there are two different lines of data going into a processor at any one time. There's the source information and then there are, there are the, uh, the, the functions, the various code that comes in that says, all right, add these numbers together or divide mm-hmm. this number or find the, uh, the largest two prime integers of this number. Um, and so that's what a processor does is it, it, it executes the command upon the data and then gives the result. Uh, so that's the basic function of a processor. Now, the cell processor is a little different. It's a, it's kind of a specialized processor. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has a couple of different elements to it that allow it to behave in a slightly different way. Um, in a way, it actually kind of acts like multiple computers uh, working together on a single problem. It's just it's all been consolidated onto a single processor chip. Now, this processor chip has a power processor element, or PPE. Mm-hmm. The power processor element's job is kind of like a manager at uh, in, a, in an office. All right, the manager's job is they take in an assignment and then they give that uh, they delegate that assignment to an employee to okay. complete. All right, and then uh, that employee would be represented by a synergistic processor element, or SPE. Now the PS3's cell processors have uh have one PPE and seven uh SPEs. So the PPE takes the problem, divides it up into individual tasks, and gives each task to an SPE. 
Mm-hmm. Each SPE is able to work as its own processor. With all of them working together in concert, you have a very powerful chip. Yes. Because they, they are all, that means all seven of these can work towards solving each individual problem, which ultimately will solve a much larger problem, uh, in, in, uh, a fraction of the time of what it would take a similarly powerful single core processor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So the other way that the analogy I used, I used this on an episode of Tech Stuff Live not too long ago. But imagine that you have two rooms. Inside one room, you've got a mathematician genius, someone mm-hmm. who can take a, a math problem and solve it. Uh, it doesn't matter how complex you make it. Eventually, sooner or later, this genius will figure it out. Right. In a second room, you have a room full of smart people who are good at math, but they are not mathematicians. They are not geniuses. They're just they're diligent and they work hard and they can get the right answer. It just usually takes them a little bit longer than it would the the genius in the other room. Right. Now, let's say you've got a math problem. The math problem is a really, really long problem that can be broken down into several steps. And you give the math problem to the genius and you give the math problem to the room full of smart people. Mm-hmm. The smart people can break that problem up into lots of smaller problems and each person is working on a section of it and then ultimately they can put all their answers together and solve it faster than the genius can. However, right. if you have a big problem that cannot be broken down, the genius is going to be able to work through that problem faster because no matter how you how how much the smart people in the other room look at it, they can't break that problem into smaller pieces to solve each on their own. So they just have to work on it and get through the problem. They they're not going to be any faster than the other guy in the other room. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of a, a a comparison of a cell processor versus a very powerful uh, regular microprocessor. Uh, it all depends on the kind of information you feed into it. If it's the kind of information that can be broken down into smaller problems, you're set. You're going to be able to solve that in, in no time flat, relatively speaking, uh, because you can do something that's called parallel processing. All the right. processors are working in parallel. Awesome. <sighs> <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm already wiped out. We haven't even gotten to the part about the U.S. Air Force. Uh, yep. Now, the Air Force is not actually they're not. It's not the first organization to use PS3s as a supercomputer. Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, Sony was trying to illustrate this as far back as 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, they have been uh, promoting the idea that the cell processor is capable of handling advanced computing, um, basically as an if you will, it's sort of a marketing effort, uh, although sort of an unusual one by, you know, I guess most gaming console standards. Uh, but it's, it's basically a marketing effort to show, look, this is, this processor is so advanced, it can handle serious computing stuff, not just handle your games. It's not just a Blu-ray player. It really is a super heavy duty monster of a chip. And, um, they actually have been very, uh, Cooperative with people who are uh, are trying to build them into and network them together to make a supercomputer, as um a certain uh, a researcher did up in the northeastern United States. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with this person? Is this the astrophysicist, uh, Dr. Gaurav Khanna? Yes, Dr. Khanna, who who networked eight PlayStation threes together uh, originally in order to solve 
problems relating to gravitational fields and things of that nature. Yeah, he called it his gravity grid. Yeah. According to the research that mm-hmm. I, uh, mm-hmm. I used. Um, and basically what he wanted to do was to find out, uh, what would happen if a supermassive black hole swallows a star. And so he wanted, he really needed massive amounts of, of computing ability to do that. And he had been spending money that he, he was receiving as grants from the National Science Foundation. Right. Um, to distribute his project out to supercomputers, but that was costing about $5,000 a pop. Mm-hmm. And, um, he realized that he could do this more affordably with the processors inside a PlayStation 3. That's right. Um, if he networked them together. And also, uh, installed Linux. That's an important element of this is that they, uh, Sony actually allows people to install an, an open source operating system onto the PS3 if they want to. It's, it's actually allowed. Um, there's no barrier in place, which I gotta say is really weird for Sony. I mean, mm-hmm. Sony is not known for being the most open platform kind of company, but, um, yeah, by installing Linux and creating, uh, a, a cluster mm-hmm. of these PS threes, you have this very powerful processing machine. Well, that, that is, uh, that's one illustration of how behind this project Sony is, but I, I have an, uh, a more even, uh, vivid, uh, thing because see, uh, Dr. Kano, Figured it would take about $3,200 to buy the PlayStation 3s. Now, this was, you know, a couple of years ago. They were still more, they were more expensive then right, than they are right. now. They've had price cuts since then. Um, but he was able to talk Sony. He explained to Sony what he wanted to do and Sony, Sony donated the eight machines that he needed to create his gravity grid. So they were absolutely saying, yeah. That's I mean, great this PR. Was, absolutely. So, um, you know, they were, they were totally behind it and it, it made some noise at the time, uh, which was good because, uh, at the time, Sony was having some difficulty selling them because they were very expensive. Right. And so when, you know, I was talking earlier about the, the one PPE handing out the, um, the, the individual jobs to the SPEs. The same thing can be said if you cluster these, these devices together. You just, you become, you create an even larger group. Mm-hmm. So it's like a group of managers and a group of employees. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, you you effectively increase the processing ability of this these machines, uh, you know, by however many you manage to network together, and you can network lots of these together. You don't it doesn't have to just be eight. Uh, that was the size of the cluster that um, Dr. Kana decided to to go with, mm-hmm. but uh, and it, fe- it met the the processing needs that he had at the time. Uh, the U.S. Air Force is doing a similar project. You know, we were talking about the twenty two hundred PS. Threes, it's actually closer to 2,500. They already had over 300 yes. um, uh, already set aside for supercomputing. But it's the same sort of concept is linking these together. You install Linux on them. You create clusters. And using these clusters, you can solve really complex problems and, and, and uh, parallel problems. I, again, once again, we have to differentiate. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be a complex parallel problem for these clusters to actually be effective. Right. So this is very similar in a way to what quantum computing promises us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may remember we talked about quantum computing in a previous podcast. Actually, we may have talked about it a couple times. Yeah. But quantum computers uh, use qubits rather than just regular bits. Yes. And a qubit can be a zero or a one or theoretically anything in between at the same time. So you are able to do multiple uh, – you're able to execute multiple processes all at once because – these qubits are fulfilling all possibilities at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difference between quantum computers and 
networking a bunch of PS3s together is the results from a quantum computer are going to be generated in probabilities. Right. So you get, you'll get maybe a, uh, a range of potential answers with a percentage of how likely each one is correct. So you'll never be a hundred percent certain that the answer that has the highest percentage, you know, the highest probability of being correct is in fact the really correct one, which is kind of weird, but that's quantum for you. Yeah. <clears throat> Probably. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny too, because, uh, just as an aside, Every time somebody says qubits, I think of the the uh, length measurement qubit, oh, right, right. not which is C U B I T. So you're thinking not, about building an arc. You know, well, yeah, everybody thinks of the arc, probably because of the Bill Cosby bit. <laughs> what the hell's a qubit? Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, these are Q bits. Yeah, which is uh, an entirely different animal. Yes, a, a distant cousin to Q Bert. Right. Um, that amazes me. <laughs> That's why I bring up Qbert as often as possible. <laughs> the uh, the Air Force is actually going to be using this cluster to um, test a way of processing uh, multiple radar images. Uh, basically, they want to build them into higher resolution versions of those images um, and other projects, including high definition video processing. Um, you know, pretty heady stuff. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, it requires that much processing power and, uh, it actually apparently is going to be, uh, handled at the Air Force Reach Research Laboratories Information, uh, Center in Rome, New York. Yep. So, um, it's a very, very specialized, uh, unit, it sounds like from the, from the descriptions I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, what's really interesting is you can do this yourself. Yes, if you, you can. are. Uh, I was wondering if we were going to go into the how-to because this, well, is, this gets kind of complicated. Uh, no, I wasn't going to go in depth into the how-to, but I was going to point out that, uh, uh, Dr. Kana and another, um, the, uh, UMass Dartmouth principal investigator, uh, Chris Poulin, uh, have a guide available to, mm-hmm. it's free. It's open mm-hmm. source. All you need to do is go to ps3cluster.org. And uh, you can find out how to build your own PlayStation 3 uh, cluster computer. And they even tell you how you can still play games on it, although it does require a special boot uh, system in order to boot back into the regular proprietary PS3 operating system. Which is very, very cool. Yeah. So in general, I, I can run through like the high level steps because we can't really get into the details. It's really, really complicated. Well, yeah, I'm not sure that anybody's going to take the podcast and... Yeah, Go do so, this. You really but, but just, just so you kind of get an idea of what goes into this is that you, you have to be able to, uh, get a, a particular, they, they recommend a specific Linux distribution that you then, uh, you, uh, image onto a DVD mm-hmm. and you use that as a uh, part of what you're going to do for the, the operating system for the Sony PS3. You also have to have a USB memory stick to get a special boot command on that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you put uh, the image of that on there. They actually host that file on the um, the site itself. Oh, cool! And uh, you using these together, you can go into a Sony uh, PlayStation Three menu, mm-hmm. and there's actually a choice to um, switch the operating system to other. So you, yeah. I mean, it's built in. You can change it that way. I mean, that shows right. you that Sony was thinking ahead and was being very uh, accommodating to this kind of hacking. Um, and we're using hacking in the uh, not not in the malicious sense, but in the hey, let's make this thing that does this 
particular task do something totally unrelated, mm. which is really cool. Let's take so, it apart and see what else we can make it do. Exactly. Yeah. So you, uh, it has, they have steps for installing Linux onto the machine, which is actually a, it's a multi-step process. Um, and it, it might be a little intimidating, but if you actually follow the instructions that are on the, uh, website, they're very comprehensive mm-hmm. and, um, they, you know, you don't, it's one of those things where it's better if you do know everything, like the reasons why you are going through these steps, but it's not necessary because they tell you what to do anyway. So you could just blindly follow the steps. And as long as you do that, you should be all right. And uh, after you've installed Linux, it's time to create something called the message passing interface. Wow. Uh, which is that's the way that it, it processes information and networks information. Yeah, that um, makes sense. And you also have to get the. Uh, software developer kit so that you can actually make it do whatever it is that you plan on having it do, whether that's search for intelligent life or, you know, plot thermonuclear war. I mean, it's really up to you, basically, at that point. It's just a tool. It's not that, you know, it's not going to run your games better. Uh, let me put it that way. You're not going to suddenly see uh, an improved performance from your PS3 as far as gaming is concerned, but you can use it as a very powerful computer. And if you have a particular project that requires parallel processing, and that's a lot of peas. Holy yep. cow. <laughs> Good thing we've got a pop filter here. Um, but if you, if you happen to have that, that need, this could be a resource for you, especially now that the price has dropped. Yep. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of interesting too, that, uh, it's gained so much traction as an idea to use the the PlayStation 3 as uh, a model for the or an, I guess a unit to be built into a cluster. Um, the cluster workshop project, the one we were just talking about, is uh, as now partially funded by the National Science Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know it's received that level of support in the scientific community. So um, and from what I could tell, it looks like a lot of people have adopted the idea. Um, it's just one of those things where. Uh, when the military goes out and buys a whole lot of uh, game consoles to network into a cluster computer, it's it's it makes headlines because it's an interesting story. Well, yeah, and, and when you think about it, having to submit that budget request up the yeah. chain of command to the point where, you know, ultimately it's going to go to some sort of politician. Yeah, it's sure. it, it can be a challenge to explain to someone not 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 I don't want to use the word savvy, but not particularly uh, informed about the possibility of, of networking these devices together in order to make an actual computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on the surface, you just say, why exactly. the heck do you want 2,500 video game consoles? Uh, and so, I mean, that would definitely be a challenge. I would not want to be the guy who has to explain, especially if, if I were in a chain of command situation, I might not even understand it. You know, right. it might right. be like three people below me have, uh, have that information. And then, I'm kind of stuck, but <laughs> that is, it is a nice, uh, interesting way to solve the problem because supercomputers are not just expensive. I mean, you, not all research facilities purchase supercomputers. In fact, most don't. Right. Uh, most end up essentially, um, not, not renting time, but getting, having time granted to them right. to use a supercomputer. Yeah. Uh, either through grant money or sometimes the supercomputer, uh, um, resource has a, a a quota to meet of a certain number of hours of processing time they have to dedicate to research uh, projects, mm-hmm. but you've got a, you've got more projects than you have supercomputers. Sure. So you know that time becomes a precious commodity, and if you if you aren't able to book that time when your research project is is active, 
then it can be really hard to keep that project going long enough for you to be able to get the access. So this mm-hmm. is a really – it's a viable alternative. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another nice thing too is that, uh, you know, it's one of the things that uh, keeps Google's data centers running. I mean, they use thousands and thousands of computers as servers. You know, if yeah. one of them goes down, there's some redundancy. So right. I would assume, although I, you know, it's just one of those things that just came to me. I haven't researched it, but I would assume if one of the PlayStations, um, you know, gives up the ghost, then you could pull it out and, you know, put another machine in there far more affordably than you could if your supercomputer you know, your Cray machine oh, definitely, went down. Definitely. Because um, you're talking about, you know, off the shelf components versus sometimes uh, uh, very specific, um, unique mm-hmm, parts. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of these supercomputers are running on chips that, you know, they essentially come out of the lab and go into a supercomputer. So they're not even at the mass production phase necessarily for some of these chips. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the PS3, you just go to Best Buy or, you know, something and just pick one off the shelf and go and you buy it and you're done. You have to go back and you, you know, you have to of course install the operating system and, and, and attach it to your cluster, make mm-hmm, it part mm-hmm. of the cluster. It's not like it's just plug and play, but it's a lot easier than if you suddenly had your supercomputer go oopsie on you. Yeah. Not that I've ever heard of a PlayStation three having that kind of a problem. No, that's more of an Xbox 360 kind of thing. Oh, wow. See, but now I, people are going to write to me and say that I hate the Xbox 360, despite the fact that I am an, avid xbox fan but come on guys that red ring of death seriously yo you know i i, I wouldn't mind having I, I don't own either one and i would like a playstation 3 and an xbox 360 so would i but i, I don't put it on my amazon wish list and no one has picked it up yet i keep checking well you know look in your stocking we'll see what we can do i, I have been gaining a lot of weight my stocking <laughs> has been getting larger leon's so. getting larger so, well, um, I guess uh, that's a good discussion about the PS3 supercomputer connection. Um, that was a great question, Tim. Yeah, uh, excellent. He actually, he actually, although I said it was a listener text message, he sent his request via phone, which a lot of you have been doing, and it just shows that our listeners are super cool smartphone users. Yep, which is awesome. <laughs> um, well, I guess that wraps up that discussion, but it does lead us to a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Emmanuel. Emmanuel says, hey there, imitating Jonathan, because you guys are awesome. Thank you. You guys mentioned that Natal uses only gestures, and it is unsure of whether it will be too much of a leap in technology. However, one thing you forgot to mention is that Natal can actually scan physical objects, which then allows you to use real-world objects in your games. This can range from skateboards to tennis rackets to an airsoft gun for first-person shooters, etc. In my humble opinion, the developers are really in control of whether or not their game will implement some sort of physical object. The only way to find out is to wait until the release date. We shall see. I'm Emmanuel from Bermuda, and this is my... Okay, now, this was a request from Emmanuel, so anyone who gets annoyed by me yelling into the microphone, this is your opportunity. Turn down the volume now. Okay, I'm going to count to three, and after that, I'm going to fulfill Emmanuel's request. Remember, this is Emmanuel asking for this, so please turn down your volume. One, two, three. Listener mail! In the tone that you used to use because it always managed to make me laugh. Thanks, Emmanuel. I hope you guys were able to turn your volume down in time. Don't send me iTunes reviews and say that you hated it. I gave you plenty of opportunity that time, guys. You know, I have to say it's it's funny because uh, 
both sides are pretty vocal about whether they liked or hated that. Yeah, we get email all the time about people who say, uh, thank you for changing that. That was irritating. Or I really miss the way you used to say listener mail. And then we still get reviews on it's, iTunes that say, I hate how he yells into the microphone. Like, I haven't done that <laughs> for like three months. Anyway, so I guess they're just listening to all the old episodes. Uh, thanks a lot, Emmanuel. That is a good point. Yes, Natal can scan objects like a, like a skateboard. So it's kind of similar to the Tony Hawk ride game that came out where you have a very special controller that's in the shape of a skateboard. You use that as a uh, controller. Mm-hmm. Why are you looking at me like that? Nothing. I'm just So anyway, you can scan like a, a board and use it as if it were one of those controllers. Now, granted, the board you scan would just be a normal board. It wouldn't even have any controls in it or anything. It's right, Natal right. scanning it and then uh, interpreting that. So when I said that you would have to use like just your empty hand for like a lightsaber game, I totally forgot. No, you don't necessarily have to do that. It may allow you to scan an object and use that as the hilt of a lightsaber, which could then help you defeat the forces of evil. Or if you are like me, make everyone join the empire. <laughs> I have a plus three slice of pizza. Fear me. Okay, now you're mixing genres and and different kinds of games. I'm going to have to close this out. (laughs) If any of you would like to send us mail, our address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Remember, we've got a live show, Tech Stuff Live, every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find a link to that through the blogs, and the blog links are on howstuffworks.com on the right-hand side. And Crispy and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?